0: interest rates have essentially bottomed out at this point. And again, if you look at credit spreads, it's definitely not sustainable at these levels.
1: Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. In this episode, Mark Race and Alfred Lee discuss historical price swings in the oil market, the potential for coordinated production cuts by the United States, Russia, and Saudi Arabia, and the expected impact on fixed income assets. Before we hear from our experts, We'd like to remind you that when buying and selling ETFs, it's best to avoid trading near the open and close of the market, especially during periods of heightened volatility. We also recommend using limit orders and revisiting those orders regularly during the day, given that markets may continue to shift dramatically in these turbulent times. I'm your host, Mark Raith. I'm the head of product for BMO Gam Canada,
2: covering ETFs and mutual funds. Thank you all joining us today. So today we are joined by Alfred Lee, who's a portfolio manager on our ETF desk focused on fixed income and preferred shares. Alfred is also our ETF strategist, so he can provide us some some great insights as to what's going on in the marketplace. Uh, And as things start to settle a little bit, as well, some, some investing opportunities that we see in fixed income. So thank you, Alfred, for joining us today. No problem. Alfred, let's start with an update from last week and the weekend as, as information moves so fast. And let's try to be focused on fixed income. We've got the positive virus news, but as well, a little last week, uh, we've got the start of cooperation, it seems, on oil between the U.S., the Saudis, and Russia. Uh, and we, we did at one point in a single day see a 40, 40% jump in oil, settle back down to around 25 at the close of the day. Now this benefits corporate bonds as well, particularly in Canada, where of course we're focused on energy producers and, and our banks. Can you give us an update and provide your analysis? And as well, can you put it in the context of of two thousand and eight? Now that we're settling into this uh, protracted period of economic slowdown. Thank you.
0: Yeah, so you're absolutely right, Mark. I think we we have a number of things going on right now. First of all, you know, to your point, I think you know uh, with the infection rates going or le- you know, looking like they're turning the curve in, in Italy and, and also New York. I think that's been a huge positive for the markets, along with stimulus hitting the markets, both on the fiscal side and the monetary side as well. Uh, but the oil story has been a bit, very big uh, story on the fixed income side, especially in the credit space. And, you know, essentially last week, uh, there was speculation that uh, Russia and the Saudis uh, would essentially agree to uh, cutting supplies in the oil prices or in their oil supply, um, so that essentially helped oil prices stabilize. So last week we saw oil prices jump up essentially 32 uh, percent on speculation that they were originally supposed to meet today, but that meeting got postponed until this Thursday. So that's why we see oil prices selling up today. But without a doubt, I mean that's been a huge positive for credit spreads in general. So you know whether you're looking at investment in grade both in the U.S. and Canada. Also, the high yield space, and also when you look within the investment grade space, you know whether it's a plus or triple P's, all those spreads have tightened since last week and And you know a big story behind this has been uh, oil prices essentially stabilizing. So just to give you a recap in terms of you know what was going on with oil, essentially, uh this was based on uh, Russia and the Saudis going at an oil price war uh, over the last couple of weeks, and since uh the middle of March. So there's been a lot of talks in terms of, you know, the true production cost of uh, the Saudis and and Russians. Uh, So there's been a lot of talks about, you know, both of them could produce oil at $3. That is the truth. However, when you factor in a lot of the additional costs, such as transportation, capital spending, taxes, and et cetera, the true production cost of oil in Russia is actually about $20, $25. So uh, even at these levels... Uh, you know, they're gaining market share, but they're not necessarily making making money. Only the Saudis are making money that, at, at this level. So without a doubt, that's been a huge positive for the corporate bonds, especially here in Canada. Keep in mind, if you look at the corporate bond universe in Canada, it's 20% energy. And to your point before, even when you look at the indirect exposure, so other sectors such as, you know, the banks, real estate, all those will have an effect or an indirect impact because of oil and oil being a big part of the GDP uh, in Canada. So in relation to 2008, uh, it's a little bit of a different kind of setup uh, at at this point. You know, keep in mind 2008, we did see oil prices plunge about 77% in 2008, uh, down to $28. So, you know, roughly where oil is trading right now. Uh, But if you remember back in 2007 and 2008, oil went on this massive run in, in, in those two years prior to the market meltdown. Uh, hit roughly about $150, and that was mostly based on massive speculation. I think the big difference here is that, you know, with oil back in 2008, even though we had a recession in 2008, there was still demand for oil. Uh, The difference here is that, you know, everything is literally locked up in their homes right now. So you have less cars on the street. uh, You don't have any uh, planes in the sky neither. Uh, So that demand for oil is essentially down considerably so it really depends on how long these lockups are going to last but I think if you're an op- if you're an optimist you know you got to think that the lockup is going to last you know two months and demand will come back online uh, relatively quickly compared to 2008 which I think is going to be huge uh, positive for not only oil prices uh, but it's going to be a huge positive for Canadian credit and the corporate bond space and up here in Canada as well
2: all right. Thank you for that, Alfred. And I think that background will will help us quite a bit as we talk about some ETF ideas in a few more minutes. Now, let's look a little further back over the past month, where, of course, equities started to come unglued back on March 12th. Investors would have thought then in a balanced portfolio that their fixed income holdings would really rise, maybe not offset, but at least partially offset the equity decline. And while this long-term relationship certainly holds true, During acute stress, I would have to say that the benefits of diversification, particularly with credit exposure, are less apparent as as correlations creep uh, towards one. So can you use ZAG, the BMO Aggregate Bond ETF, so our our biggest and broadest ETF, to really explain what's been going on? And I think it would help if you give an explanation of the ETF, you know, what it holds, average term, and then put it in the context of this market. Thank you.
0: Sure. With uh, so with Zag, uh, Zag essentially tracks the Canadian fixed income universe. So the Canadian fixed income universe, or the investment grade space, essentially is made up of federal bonds, provincial bonds, uh, corporate bonds, roughly in you know one third, one third, and one third. The duration of the overall universe right now is about eight years. So you know over the last couple of months, um, essentially what we saw was this was essentially a liquidity event, and essentially why. You know, bonds underperformed the, some people's expectations. Is essentially the corporate component of the fixed income space. So, as I mentioned before, uh, it was really just the liquidity that, where a lot of investors were uh, trying to move to cash, trying to raise uh, liquidity uh, by any means possible. So, you know, going back to the conversations that we've had over the last couple of weeks on this call, uh, essentially what we what we saw was, you know, as that selling intensified, especially in the corporate bond space. Essentially, a lot of the dealers could not take on any more uh, capacity in terms of their balance sheets. So what happened was a lot of the bonds, especially in the corporate space, started trading well below their fundamental values. So at the height of the liquidity, you know a lot of the underlying bonds, essentially as we ran a liquidity in the corporate bond space, what we found was a lot of people started using government bonds in order to raise liquidity. So if they couldn't sell the corporate bonds, what they would do is start moving into the more liquid areas of the fixed income market. So at one point, you know, uh, I think in mid-March where uh, liquidity liquidity was really a challenge, government bonds started seeing some dislocations uh, versus their true fundamental values as well. So overall, you know, as as, as, as an example, we also saw a lot of uh, high-quality corporate bonds, uh, so say 407 bonds, uh, which are well in demand by a lot of institutional investors some of the bids we were seeing was you know $50 50 cents on the dollar which is well below you know fundamental values so that's essentially why diversification diversification broke down uh it was really just a liquidity funding event which is you know typical of you know an event that we typically see every 10 years or so so the last time we saw this kind of event where you know, correlations between different asset classes really rising was in 2008. But overall, I mean, I would say diversification didn't break down completely. Um, overall, when you look at a simple 60-40 portfolio, uh, the volatility was still less than the sum of its parts. And, you know, the correlation of those overall asset classes was was positive, but still considerably less than 1%. And I think if you put everything into context, you know, when you look at ZAG or the broad based fixed income universe, it was in March it was down roughly about two point one percent. Uh the government bond space was roughly flat. And, you know, again to put everything into context, when you look at the TSX over the month of March, it was down seventeen and a half percent just in March alone. So and I still think uh diversification still makes a lot of sense in this market. And that's no reason to abandon. Uh, diversification going forward.
2: Great. Thank you for that, Alfred. I think that, that helps quite a bit because we have been getting questions on fixed income ETF performance. And even beyond that, you know, as, as people have searched for yield and they've loaded up on credit exposures and potentially lower quality credit exposures, just realize that brings a certain element of equity like risk, albeit at a lower level, the fixed income side of your book. So realizing the important goal of fixed income to offset some of that equity risk. Uh, That's where the importance of a broad exposure in in government bonds comes into play. So now let's move a bit more into corporate bonds because questions we've been getting now as we move through the first stages of the slowdown is really if it becomes protracted, if it gets dragged out, are we going to start seeing a lot of downgrades and even defaults. I think we'll need you to really step in and define where those impact various ETFs. But looking at you know triple B bonds at the edge of the investment grade universe, what part of the market does
0: that make up?
2: And what does it really mean to to you as a portfolio manager when that bond gets downgraded? What are your options? How do you deal with it during the ETF in the context overall of people asking questions as you search for liquidity? Uh, of the quality of the ETF portfolio? Thank you.
0: Sure, uh, that's a good question. I think um, you know we, we've definitely heard a lot of chatter about downgrade risk over the last couple of weeks. And why we've been hearing a lot more about this is because uh, Ford, the automaker, got downgraded in the last couple of weeks. Uh, so that's put in the question in terms of are we going to see further downgrades uh, within the auto space sector? And obviously, if we see oil prices down at these levels for um, a sustainable time, uh, the energy sector is going to be vulnerable at, at some point as well. So overall, when you look at the triple B space in the Canadian bond universe, it's roughly about 10% of the overall Canadian bond universe. So obviously, if, if something gets downgraded, it's not favorable for bonds, uh, given that you know most of the mandates in Canada, whether you're a passive manager or whether you're an active manager, requires the portfolio manager to invest in. Uh, investment-grade bonds only. So when something gets downgraded, what you tend to see is you're going to see a lot of selling pressure, as most managers on the street are going to be selling that specific bond. But I think, you know, contrary to popular belief, um, I think with an ETF, a lot of people believe that if something gets downgraded, it has to be out of that index or out of that portfolio on that specific day, uh, which leads the street to believe that ETFs are essentially price takers. And and that's not the case. I mean, when something gets downgraded, we essentially have 30 days to remove that security from the portfolio. So typically what you'll find is that as something gets downgraded and as discrete is selling that particular security, what you're going to see is a lot of selling pressure with that specific bond. Since we have 30 days to get rid of that security, uh, what we can do is we could take advantage of uh, the timing. And as the selling pressure starts to dissipate, we could uh, sell that bond at a more opportune time. Also, keep in mind that something like uh, ZAG, which is the broad-based fixed income ETF, it's so well diversified. There's you know, 1,300, 1,400 positions within that portfolio. So, if we stick to Ford as an example, uh, Ford makes up 17 basis points of that portfolio. So, you know, when you put that into context, a, a downgrade in the portfolio is going to be much more muted compared to, let's say you know, a manager that has a high conviction strategy, which is going to be, you know, holding a lot more concentrated positions in their portfolios.
2: Thank you, Alfred. And, you know, really, I think the important thing to take from that is, one, that you've got time to deal with it. It's not an overnight or next night thing, which is, you know, what we were kind of hearing from the street. And two, because you are so well diversified, each bond's weight in the portfolio uh, you know, outside of some big issuers is, is really quite muted. So I think that explanation is quite helpful. Now, the other question we've been getting is as people look to exit some of these bond uh, ETFs, as you say, sourcing liquidity, what about the quality of the portfolio inside of the ETF? Have you seen any slippage where you've been forced to sell uh, your more liquid, higher quality names? Or what are you doing to to mitigate that within the ETF? Thank you. So
0: that's a good question. So how we manage the portfolios is essentially we use a sampling process. Just because you know, with a fixed income market, unlike the equity market, the fixed income market is essentially uh, an inventory based market where you know it's 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 very challenging to get exposure to all the entire universe and have a slice of the universe deliver to. Uh, the portfolio manager to get that exposure. So what we have to do is, you know, we have to build up that portfolio piece by piece by sampling the index. Uh, That's also an advantage uh, in how we deal with liquidity as well, Um, because obviously by tracking an index, that means, you know, by definition, we can be very well diversified. So how we're managing the portfolio in recent times as liquidity becomes a challenge is that because we're diversified, we typically have a lot of, know many positions and what we could do is say if we have to raise you know 20 million or 25 million we're we're typically going to be selling you know 1 million dollar or 2 million dollar pieces which tend to be a lot more digestible to the market also because we are using a sampling process it also allows us to be more flexible as well so if we do find certain liquidity pockets in the in the uh, corporate bond space for example we can sell larger sizes there in terms of your question, in terms of the quality of the portfolios, what we have been doing is that uh, in, in days where liquidity is a little bit more challenging, uh, what we'll do is we'll stick to raising liquidity with, you know, the higher quality names. But then when there's more risk taking in the market and when, the, when liquidity comes back, such as today, uh, what we could do is sell those bonds that tend to be a little bit more less liquid. You know, another thing to keep in mind is that uh, size is also a factor when when managing fixed income portfolios um because we have larger portfolios uh even if we raise, you know, 10 to 15 million within one single sector, uh that's not going to throw our our weights relative to the relative to the index considerably.
2: Right, and I think the one thing I would also add is of course, knowing that you're a larger
0: player, uh you interact
2: well across the street so you're able to find Sources of liquidity across dealers, across desks, uh, mm-hmm. that maybe smaller managers would have a harder time doing, or even dealer desks at um, various brokers, uh, you know, would tend to tend to have singular, only a few options at their at their trading disposal.
0: Yeah, and and you know, typically with size, what you'll find is that size typically means that it's a more mature ETF, uh, which means that there's more. Secondary market liquidity for that ETF as well. So, you know, even if you do see volume on that particular ETF, doesn't necessarily mean we have to go into the underlying market and touch the underlying market to find liquidity. A lot of times you can find liquidity uh, with the ETF units, which means that we don't have to transact in the underlying market.
2: Right. Now, in directional markets, more likely that a trade will end up coming back to the ETF as a market maker potentially redeems. But can you just uh, speak to then? On your more mature ETF, what percentage of of uh, exchange trading actually ends up uh, impacting the ETF or causing a flow to the ETF?
0: In normalized times, um, so take any. It, it's obviously going to change per ETF. Uh but typically, what you'll find is that you know between 10 to 20 cents of every dollar actually hits the underlying uh, market. But obviously, you know in directional markets like like what we're seeing in the last couple of weeks. Um, obviously that number will tend to be a little bit higher.
2: Right. I think that's a great talking point for everyone to realize that the added liquidity on the exchange only creates um, a liquidity mode, if you will, for a a more mature ETF. So last question for me, Alfred, before we go to the lines, if you could approach this from two directions, if you're a more Mm -hmm. positive investor, thinking that, you know, we're getting some good news now, and it's an opportunity—once in a decade opportunity—to invest in some riskier fixed income assets. What would you look at? And conversely, if you're more uh, negative on on markets and, and on the buyer scenario, uh, what would you do to to add more quality in your portfolio? So maybe a couple of ETF examples on each side, please.
0: I think there's there's reasons to you know be know, take both camps at this point, Um, obviously, you know, if you're optimistic, I think, you know, you believe the markets are turning here, you believe infection rates are leveling off. But at the same time, if you're a pessimist, I think, you know, uh, you could see that the infection rates will at some point, you know, we we haven't exactly seen the flattening of the curve and and whatnot as well. Uh, But I think a lot of people are looking for direction at this point where they do have a view, uh, but they're also looking at ways to execute uh, their view as well. Uh, so, you know, starting with the optimistic view, I think, you know, if you want to take uh, an optimistic, optimistic view on the market right now, uh, an ETF is actually a good way to do it in the fixed income space. You know, one because it's going to be more liquid, but also because of that diversification as well. So, you know, keep in mind that credit spreads have widened considerably, but also, you know, there are concerns that th- that we may see downgrade risk, we may see some bankruptcy risk in the high yield space, especially. Um so having that diversification is a good way to minimize that company specific risk, so three good ways in, in order to play you know if you're optimistic about you know the market has bottomed out uh, high yield is a good way to play it right now. Uh, if you look at you know the credit spreads on high yield, for example, uh high yield spreads are roughly about eight hundred basis points above treasuries right now, and you know you got to think that spreads could widen out in the next you know couple of weeks. But if you're looking five to six years out, you got to think that you know, the spreads at these levels are not sustainable. Given that you know over the long term, credit spreads tend to live around you know 330 basis points above Treasuries. A safer way to play this is essentially the triple B space. So triple B's being you know still investment grade, but the more risky part of the investment grade universe. So when you look at triple B space right now in, in Canada. Uh, credit spreads are roughly 3.2 percent above federal bonds right now, and normally what they are is is roughly about 1.3 uh, percent above federal bonds. So this is a good way to play it. Again, you know you get that diversification. So you know it's it's a better way than playing it through individual bonds. Given that if something gets downgraded, uh, you're going to get that diversification through that ETF. So Z triple B, so Z is essentially our ETF that allows investors to get Exposure to the uh, Canadian corporate bond universe, but just a triple B segment and with maturities of what uh, one to 10 years uh, term to maturity. Uh, the last play I would do is uh, the Canadian preferred shares base. So, obviously, the you know, Canadian preferred shares have taken it on the chin, both on an interest rate perspective and also a credit rate, uh, a credit perspective as well. So, at this point, you know, the Bank of Canada has come out and said, you know, they want to make. Uh, the current overnight rate at zero point two five to be their bottom of uh, where they want interest rates to go. So meaning that they don't want rates to go negative at this at this moment. So if that's the case, interest rates have essentially bottomed out at this point. And again, if you look at credit spreads, it's definitely not sustainable at these levels. And you know when you look at the issuers in the preferred share space, uh, most of them tend to be higher quality issuers. So things like banks, insurers, And even the energy space, they tend to be uh, mostly pipelines. And the yield in the preferred share space right now is roughly 7.5%, and that's taxed as dividend. So that's a good way to play uh, the rebound if you think the market has bottomed out. So taking the other side of the coin, uh, if you believe, you know, if you're a little bit more pessimistic and you believe that, you know, there's another leg down or credit spreads are going to widen considerably from here, you know, I think this. The way you have to focus on is essentially uh, quality for one, and then liquidity as as another aspect as well. Um, so ZQB is our high quality uh, corporate bond ETF, which focuses on uh, bonds that are rated A and higher. Uh, this is actually a good way to play it, whether you are pessimistic or optimistic, because I think you know when you look at credit spreads in the uh, A and above space, uh, I would say you know they've taken their unfair, uh, unfair un- undue uh, amount of uh, trading or liquidity uh, or amount of selling just because they tend to be the more liquid uh, segment of the corporate bond space. So a lot of people have had you know, challenges in terms of finding liquidity in the last couple of weeks. What they've done is they've focused on selling the more uh, liquid area of the corporate bond space, which tends to be uh, the higher quality and above space. So when you look at credit spreads in the AA space right now, uh, it's 1.7% above treasuries or above federal bonds. Normally, they're 40 basis points. So I think this is a good way to get exposure to higher quality bonds, but also remain in a relatively safe space and get that diversification through an ETF as well. So this is one of my favorite trades right now. Also, if you want to focus on liquidity, uh, ZST and ZUS, which is our ultra-short-term bond ETFs, uh, essentially what fees... ETFs do is they hold bonds that mature in less than one year, so they hold T-bills and also some some corporate bonds. So with the T-bills, you get liquidity, but with the corporate bonds, you get some additional yield uh, through those corporate bonds. The last uh, idea I would have for you know those investors that are a little bit more pessimistic is, is Zag. I think you know it's never a bad option just because it's so well diversified. You know the the way I always position Zag is. You know, it's so diversified that there's always something within ZEG that's working, whether it's rising interest rates, declining interest rates, or, you know, credit spreads are widening or tightening. Uh, There's something within the universe that's always working. And, you know, when you look at ZEG, you're getting it at eight basis points, and it's a cost-efficient way to get exposure to the overall uh, Canadian fixed-income universe.
2: Okay, Alfred, well, we've covered a lot of ground. Some trip has got a lot of information from that. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you one bonus just to put you on the spot. You talked about a number of great ideas there on, on my last question. What's the one ETF you're using right now uh, in some of your strategy work that you're that you're adding to the position? If I can just give you a choice of one.
0: Uh, that, that QB, so the high quality corporate bond uh, ETF. Again, I think that's a good way to play, just because you know credit spreads are. Uh, widened in that space, and I think they've uh, you know widened out just because a lot of people have been funding liquidity. Also, I think you know a, a good way to position this is because you know if we do see downgrades uh, in the investment grade space, if something gets downgraded from A or above down to triple B, it's still investment grade. So you're not going to see that wide uh, wide scale selling. Uh, so this is a good way to get you know, exposure to corporate bonds. Uh, You're getting higher quality corporate bonds, uh, but at the same time, you're getting that spread compression opportunity uh, at this given moment in the markets as well. Great. Thank you, Alfred.
2: You've done an excellent job walking through the fixed income universe and giving us a market update. So thank you very much and have a great day.
1: Thank you to our panelists for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we learned how low oil prices can disrupt portions of the bond market, weakening the benefits of diversification, and posing new challenges for asset allocators. Investors with an optimistic view may choose to leverage the widening credit spreads using our ZBBB and ZQB ETFs. Meanwhile, those with a more cautious outlook can choose to stay liquid with ultra-short-term exposures such as ZST and ZSU. As usual, if you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please contact Andrew Vachon. A-N-D-R-E-W V-A-C-H-O-N at BMO.com. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time, without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.